Although many, many are credited for having said this, I think it's worth putting right out there. The longest journey any human being will ever take is the 18 inches that separates their hearts from their minds. And I say that because for today's episode, I want to start with, and I quote, I was all about business. It wasn't until I started connecting to my heart that I was able to shift my original definition and to be much more expansive and move past my original assumptions. The heart, not your mind, is the essence of inner authority, for the heart is the throne of pure power and potential, your most valuable asset in the process of actualizing your true self." Unquote. What I have described are beautiful and powerful words from a wonderful book called Productive Intuition, Connecting to the Subtle by Adapia Derico. She is an investor, an entrepreneur, and an advisor. That's what she does. It's not who she is. Who she is is contained in this incredibly vulnerable, powerful book. I have done 99 episodes of A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation, and I've read a lot of books about that transformation. None have been more honest, more vital, more candid, and more powerful than the one that I am describing. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'm Chuck Garcia. Welcome to A Climb to the Top. Adapia, welcome to A Climb to the Top. Hi, Chuck. I'm floored. <laughs> My heart just exploded when you introduced me. I'm, just, I'm so humbled. Thank you. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, and I'm really glad we came into each other's lives because I had the opportunity to read your wonderful book. Now, I know what you do for a living, but for our, our listening audience, let's just get that over the way, and then let's jump into the story. Just tell us professionally, what are you doing? Sure. So professionally, I'm in uh, private equity in real estate investing. So I get to help people diversify their assets, uh, their investment portfolio into private real estate. Um, that's primarily that's primarily what I do. Born of um, a fascination back in 2013 with crowdfunding and the access to capital that that created and my entrepreneurial journey. But essentially, I am an investor and I help other people uh, do the same. Fantastic. Now let's jump into the, the, the story of transformation. Mm -hmm. To our listening audience, this wonderful book, while it has many chapters, as I read it, I thought about it, and where I'm going to lead today's discussion is based on a few categories. Number one is what Adapia calls sovereignty, otherwise known as inner authority. And in the intro to her book, she talks about a portal to sovereignty. We're then going to get into what is productive intuition, and it may surprise you how she views intuition and in that we are all intuitive. It's not that we have it. Her point is we are. And then there's several parts about wisdom, which I really appreciated. We're going to focus on the wisdom of the body and the mind that she advises us to think differently about it. And then we'll finish up with a call to action and really what is alignment and meeting. And we'll finish up with a quote from the great Carl Jung, who was referenced often in the book. So Adapia, I, I want to begin here with you have a book that anybody can see. But what I'd like to first explore, tell us what is this book about and why did you write it? The book is really about my journey of understanding who I am, 
um, because it really started with me believing, as I think most of us do, that I am what I do. I am my role. I am my title. Um, I am my abilities. Uh, you know, I, I am my career. And at least it was that for me. So in short, I am my ego. And in reality, when I went through a complete dissolution of ego, uh, it's sometimes called a transformational crisis, I no longer knew who I was. I, I couldn't, I was not successful. So this successful executive career person that I was, was not that. And I had no language, no concepts, no tools, no resources. And I also didn't believe I could talk to anybody about it, especially nobody in the business world. So um, I went through several years of redefining myself, really understanding. I went on a spiritual journey and I came out the other side realizing that I, I love business. I'm good at it. It's only what I do. And I needed to integrate my spiritual journey with this idea of business and work because I came back into the business world. I didn't want to just abandon it to go meditate on a mountaintop or, you know, um, you know, to, to become a yoga teacher. I love doing yoga, um, but I didn't really know what my options were. And so this book really was the book I needed that I didn't have. And my hope is that it's a book that can support others who might feel at any point in time in their lives, like, I don't quite know what's going on with me. Something's changing. I don't know how to describe it to people. And I feel like I'm losing myself, but actually feel more like myself than I ever have, because that was me. Well, I appreciate the power of the vulnerability that was on display, but I want to read a passage from the intro section, which is called the portal to your sovereignty. And I'm asking my, my listeners to think about the words here and the impact of what Adapia is discussing. My ego has its claws hooked into my career. And those hooks were in deep but I was awakened and experienced more ego deaths. My attachment to my career as the definition of success has significantly shifted. I find myself asking a far more empowering question. And then it hit me and I took a pause for dramatic effect and not a P opposed to herself and to the reader. What's my contribution? Is that what you were going for when you wrote it? This is your contribution to you, to the world, or both? It was, it was really just a, an exploration, an excitement about sharing, because that piece, the contribution, is such a sea change from what am I doing? What am I trying to accomplish and, and why? And instead, if I think about what am I contributing to the world, to my colleagues, to my family, just, just how do I show up? What, what am I actually doing is that is not measured in what I achieve in things and title it's measured by the impact that I can have on others. And that to me is, is the contribution. And I, and I fundamentally understand, know, and believe that we're all contributing and it doesn't have to be tied to material uh, goals, because I think that's where we, that's the system that we're in. But in reality, contribution is, is so much, it's so much deeper than that. 
Well, I appreciated the contribution because as I read the book, I thought, and, and when I closed the book, and I want to hold it up, and I want to show everyone just what this book looks like. But when I finished the book, I thought about what do I have here? What, what, what did I take away from it? And I took away a boatload. It took me hours to figure out how am I going to, how am I going to do this show? It's that good. But it was introspective. It certainly caused me to think differently about the my own contribution. It was instructional. It was an interesting format how throughout the book, Adapia wrote in each chapter a section on reflections, lots of questions to provoke. And this is where the introspection came from, but also actionable practices. How do you take what has been provoked in your own mind and heart, and then what can you do about it? And then lastly, it was inspirational. But I want to examine that, and I'd like to go to the inspirational here, because so much of the foundation of the book was that heart-mind connection that I opened with and the difference. You explained as part of your history, and we'll get to it into the wisdom of the mind and the body, which is a, a part I want to examine probably most on this show. What is it that you came to learn as you explained in the book about the importance of the mind, the good grades, the good path, use your mind as a path to success, yet everything that you were writing about is, oh my God, has conventional wisdom sold me a bill of goods? Is there something else here? And then you led to the heart. What led to that bridge that ultimately put so much heart into the book? Yeah, it was um, twofold. So, so one was I really looked at a lot of the science that went in and, and I referenced a lot of science because I, at my base level of how I operate, um, I'm analytical and I'm very analytical. That's, that's how I grew up. That that's how I operate. And so I felt as I was doing a lot of my spiritual searching that there was a lot of, um, like, just read this and believe it. There was not, there was no, nothing there that would help me really believe it in an, um, in a reasoned way. Right. And, and then I started to examine the relationship between opposites, that it's either, or either, or everything is either, or, and then it hit me. And I said, it's not either, or it's both. And both analytical and intuitive or intellectual and intuitive, you know, creative and intellectual, like it's not one is better than the other. And so I thought, how do I put all of this together? Because from the heart and mind perspective, um, there is the science that that shows that the heart is a brain. It has more neural cells than the, than the cerebral brain, and then there's the gut brain. And then all of a sudden, the research and the science was giving me the information I needed that I had maybe read in spiritual texts that were based on like maybe some of the very very ancient. Um, texts like the Vedas, but even newer texts that kind of were asking you just believe this because it's spiritual. And that's just not me. I needed my left brain to be on board. And I recognized in myself that if I could give my left analytical mind something to chew on, to accept, it would actually use, it would actually unlock the right brain, the intuitive kind of part of me to become more open and to make connections that otherwise I would have um, closed off from skepticism. So that's kind of the, the best way I could describe it is I needed to create both and, and the more I integrated this in myself, the more information I could find to bring in a way the science and the spirituality together in a way that 
I could prove. And if I could prove it to myself and then my intuitive sort of um, that more intuitive side of myself, the creative side of myself that I allowed to open was even more, was even stronger and more active. And it worked in concert with the analytical. So I just became just, it's just all kinds of better for opening my left mind, but giving it what it needed to even contemplate things beyond the traditional way we think of intellect. Well, there was a really interesting passage. I want to describe the, in, the middle of the book is dedicated to wisdom. And Adapia, let, let's first get this out, get, let, let, let's establish this because there's a very big turning point to me in your story. You talk about wisdom being a process of subtraction, about the rule-based systems, how they operate. I think this was awesome because this is what I fight as, as, a, as a Columbia with my students. It's it's the mind and and the, the 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 wisdom is everything that's additive. If you know more, you're simply smarter. Could you please describe how you came to the wisdom of subtraction? And I'm going to lead into to me the mm. biggest the biggest mm. color in this book. Um, I think like most most things, it it was an intuitive hit. It was an intuitive knowing and understanding that from all the self-reflection, I'm constantly in a contemplative state almost. I'm always reflecting and trying to understand myself in relationship to everything else. It's, right. it's just, it's basically how I operate now. And, and I was thinking a lot about, even as I was writing this book and going through my life and, and looking from all this information outside of myself and like, Oh, give me more, give me more, give me more. And then all it was doing was making me really confused. And then, and then it really was just more, more, more actually was, was not helping me know it was giving me information, but the knowing the real knowing and wisdom comes from removal. It comes from removing outside influences, uh, what other people tell us, what society wants us to believe, negative influences. Like if you, you start to chip away in a way like a sculptor does at a block of marble, they are, they're removing the marble to expose the, the, the beautiful you know, structure underneath, whatever it is. Let's say it's the statue of David. And, and that was, that was very vivid for me. Also having lived in Italy for, for a long time and like seeing these beautiful sculptures everywhere. I love sculptures. And I thought, you know, we're so busy trying to add, add, add. And then if you study any kind of ancient wisdom or culture or nature, we figured everything out by observing. And, and, and you, you, you cited many of those references in the book. I want to get to, because what, what you're describing here is that the purpose of education is not to fill the mind. It's to empty it, clear it, so you can open it. But I want to read this, this passage. I, I, I want to highlight my, my favorite part of the book was called Wisdom of the Body, Wisdom of the Mind, the two of the chapters. And, and, and maybe you're going to hear the words from me, because this was the best part of the book, because it, it spoke to your self-identity and where really you took that to another place. And, and, and here I go, and I quote, from a young age, I became over-identified with my left brain intelligence. Here is the part I really appreciated. With a more right brain dominant sister holding the official title in the family of artist, I 
took on the role of the smart one who was expected to follow the right path from getting good grades to having a good career. And I loved how you put out, sound familiar? It's beautiful. When I learned about the anatomy of the brain, it dawned on me that I possessed right brain capabilities. But here is the best part of the story. Adapia, this is what I, when I, this hit me like a ton of bricks. In fully acknowledging that I too was inherently creative, I stepped into power I didn't know I had, and I gave myself permission to call myself creative and explored corners of my psyche that had been off limits from myself. My goodness, how often I hear this. How long did it take you to come to this conclusion? Almost my whole life. <laughs> I wondered about that. <laughs> Almost my whole life, because even when I worked with my sister, we were business partners. She was the artist and I was the business partner. But in reality, that that's, again, that's the either or I'm either a business person or I'm creative. And, you know, now she, she runs her own business and she's a great business person. And she's come around the other way because she's a fabulous artist and she's a great business person. My creativity came out a different way. I thought it had to be like art, like her, she's a paint, like painting or, or some kind of, or music people that can do music are magical to me. I mean, I don't even know how they do that. It's amazing. Um, my creativity is in other ways and you're right. The word permission is such a key word for me because no one's stopping us from doing anything. It, it really is always ourselves. And that can be really hard to hear, but the power comes from taking responsibility and ownership that we are the lock and we are the key. Right. And that permission is the key. And so as soon as I said, you know what, what if I am creative? I'm a great cook. I'm a good dancer. I mean, so, cause I, just cause I do it, don't do it professionally, like whatever it is, a green thumb, like all these sort of things. And then, and then something unlocks. And then all of a sudden this flood starts to come in to you on a daily level. And I started to realize I am really creative. And then I would look back at these aptitude tests and they would basically be telling me I'm creative, but in different ways that I'm a visionary, that I'm innovative. And then you start to believe it right. and then you start to take action on it. And then that action gets a response. And if it's reinforcing of that, then you keep going and it grows and grows and grows. But it all starts with that decision to say, you know, what if, what if I tried? What if I let myself, what if I believed that? Well, I love that part because I saw for any of us that have siblings or you grew up in school, you tend to be labeled very quickly. He's the yeah. math, she's the good yeah. in science and all that. And it becomes your identity and you begin to believe that's the one thing that you are. And while you may venture into other things, there is so much bias inherent in what you've been told you are Next thing you know, that's all you know how to live. But what I loved about that is, is the unconscious bias so prevalent that it requires that self-permission before you find the, the key as opposed to the lock. It, it must have been a struggle. Yeah, I, I really believe it's most people's struggle. Right. Well, I do. And in, in, in your case, in the book, it said you took countless lessons, challenges, and personal struggles. And I loved how you put it for breakdowns and breakthroughs mm -hmm. and moments of shaking my fist at the heavens. I, I felt your pain. It turns out that finding myself required the total destruction of who I thought I was. Who did you think you were? 
Um, I thought that I, well, I thought I was alone. I, I mean, I really didn't have faith. I, I really honestly, like I grew up Catholic, but it doesn't matter. I really believed that I was not supported by anything. Right. Um, well, you said not, you were lost. You felt lost somewhere. Yeah. Around, yeah. yeah. Like very alone and like independent, extremely independent. And I, I think I, I know a lot of people can relate to that because there's a, there's a bias or a conditioning of your week. If you ask for help, or if you admit that you don't know something, that's certainly how I grew up. I mean, I was bullied by my grade four teacher for getting a question, an answer wrong in class and was humiliated in class. And so you can imagine like a six or seven year old, what that does, we're still in our formative years. And so there's a lot that comes into this idea of who I'm supposed to be and where I got love from and where I got acknowledgement from. And just how I was raised, nothing, nothing wrong with it. Right. Like I, I don't like to make anything wrong or, or judge against because everyone's doing their best, but how I was raised a function of how my parents were raised a function of society at the time, it gives you messages. And so I think it behooves us to really understand where those messages come from, what we believe about ourselves. Cause they're most of the time, uh, one of my favorite practices is really to ask myself, is it mine? Is that belief mine? And if I really do the work uh, to reflect on it, most of the time, it's not my belief where I can identify if it was. So who I thought I was, was everything that everybody else, including media and just the news, whatever, doesn't matter, told me I should be and where I got my acknowledgement from. So I got my acknowledgement and my accolades from being successful in a you know, I was good in school. So I got uh, that showed me, you know, the response to that was, oh, you're good. So do good in school. You're good behave. You're loved. Um, and so it was just all of these things on all on top of each other. Um, you know, even like even the body messages around be thin, you're beautiful, you're more desired, like all, I mean, all of it, like every single, every single thing, but the most important thing I really want people to hear is that I believed it until I didn't. Right. And when I stopped believing it and I came back into my own power, what I believed about myself truly in deep, 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 deep inside, none of that mattered anymore. And nothing no, like, it wasn't like people actually thought that about me or went away. I mean, they, I guess like the fear is if I change I'm going to lose everything. My experience is that I, I, I went into this transformation where I was forced to change and that change was really scary, but I came out the other side so much richer in relationships that were meaningful and mattered and just outcomes. I've never been so successful in, in my life until I was really so authentic about who I am and what I'm of what my actual values are. And in a way, like, you know, maybe, maybe it is the like turning 40 where they say like, you know, after 40s, like women are, you know, they're just on their own. But I think it's more than that. I really think it's the understanding that um, what is meant to be will be. And if somebody's meant to be in my life or if something's meant to be in my life, it will stay. And if it's not, it's served its purpose. Yeah. 
um, what, what I described so far was passages taken out of wisdom of the mind and wisdom of the body, which I really love. What Adapia talked about is the, this is more than self-discovery. This is personal liberation and claiming your birthright. But there, there's a very big distinction here. Right in the middle of the book, Adapia, you made reference to a talk that you gave that went viral. And I watched mm -hmm. the talk and I also watched the reactions, <laughs> both good and bad, of what people said from your talk. But I, I want to describe it just a second, then I want to turn it over to you. In this talk, let's just say something looks picture perfect life on the outside, but inside everything was wrong and I hated myself. You use the metaphor of this painting and on the painting on the outside, it gives a certain appearance, but inside for nine years, you were suppressing something that you may not be able to see. I loved this part of the book and I loved the vulnerability you brought about the unexpected in people's reactions to what you thought, oh my God, this is great. Maybe not. Could you please describe that talk and the description of those reactions, good and bad? Yeah, so that that talk um, was just such a faded, such a faded thing that, that happened to me um, because I went into it with the best of intentions to really explain how we have to honor ourselves and often what happens when we don't and we live for other people. It's just another version of living for other people and not having the, the courage to say what you feel. And of course, that is most powerful in personal relationships. And um, and what what we do really ultimately to protect ourselves. And we are often doing it for the right reasons because we don't want to hurt other people. But what actually happens is we hurt ourselves. And that was the big takeaway for me from that, that relationship where I knew from the very early days that it wasn't right, but I didn't know how to say that. I didn't know how to say, no, I need more time. I didn't, I didn't know. And so I coped and then back to the overly independent me, I didn't want anyone to know. I didn't want my family to know that I was unhappy. And then it reflected in my body because I became anorexic and, um, I, I had body dysmorphia and I just, I took out my lack of control on my body and, and really it was in, and so much happened there. And what I realized in the metaphor that, that really was so true is that so much energy goes into, I want you to see me as this. I want you to see me as really successful. I'm going to focus on the things that, um, that help me basically be in denial. So, I mean, I lived in Italy. I had this beautiful life. I had things that, you know, people would say, aren't you lucky? And shouldn't you be so grateful? You should only be grateful. So there's a lot of those kinds of messages too, about how dare you be unhappy that really get internalized because they're, they're from, from everywhere. And there's the, the part about loyalty and you try to make something work, but at a certain point, if it doesn't, and it's toxic and that's what it was, was toxic. Um, it, it broke me, broke me open. That was my first awakening. It broke me completely open. And I realized like, I really, this is not good for me. No one's happy. <laughs> this marriage, this life, no one's happy. And the biggest fear was what people would think. And some of it was exactly as I thought, like a lot of people were really upset. 
But the person that I thought would be the most upset and the most disappointed was my father. I was going to get to that. Your dad, you were going to say, dad, I'm sorry. And you even use the words, he's going to kill me. Yeah. He's going <laughs> to kill me. Go, well, I'm a daddy's girl. And you know, there's so much there. I'm, I'm, I'm firstborn. I'm very much like I'm very much daddy's girl and I've never yeah, wanted he, to disappoint yeah, him. Didn't. No. Mm -mm, well, what no. was his reaction when you said, dad, I'm sorry. And he said, I just want you to be happy. Yeah. I mean, was I that, still get chills unexpected? when I think about it. Yeah. There was like silent because I'm in Italy and he's in Canada and I'm on the phone and yeah. silence. And, and I thought, and my, you know, I, I, my stomach dropped under the floor. I was like, oh no, oh no. And he goes, I want you to come home. I want you to come home. You're not happy. And I want you to come home. And it still makes me emotional when I think about it because Beautiful. so unexpected, like, and I was like, hold on. And that's when I really started to think about, um, man, did I get him wrong? And again, right. that whole issue of who we think we're supposed to be for other people. And then all it requires all it's the big word, but is the willingness to push past the discomfort and maybe have challenging conversations, um, to really find out what matters. And that was, that was it. That's really all I needed to feel like, um, I was free, free of my own ideas, really, because they weren't his. They were my ideas that I gave him that he gave me. It's like really <laughs> twisted. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yet in, in the midst of all of this, as I watched it, the best part of what you described, my story angered many and healed a multitude more. Yeah, it's when I got to that, I said, now I, 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 I knew I could tell this because I love the book, why you wrote it. But it wasn't really until I saw the controversy in people's reactions to what you thought, oh, my God, I'm reclaiming my life. Isn't this good? And yeah. yet you got unexpected reactions. Yet to others, if you dismiss those, you are healing many who relate to your story. I can only imagine you must have heard from many. Thank you, Adapia, for telling me my story and giving me the courage to face it. Did that happen? So much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Once I stopped internalizing the trolling, which was a, was a really big um, thing for me because it really did. I, I swore I would never speak in public again or do a podcast or write a blog. Like it really got to me. Um, which was part of the journey, um, because I still had internalized shame and self-judgment and I needed to forgive myself when I started to do that work. And I, and I really saw the messages, um, of people saying, thank you yeah. of people saying, I thought I was the only one who felt this way until I watched your video yeah. until I saw some of the statistics of was like 250,000 shares last time. Yeah. And, and, and just this, the, the, the producer's goal cast had never had such a shared, like, at least up until that point, I don't know, like just so much controversy and so many people talking about it because yeah, a lot of people were upset. And what I realized was how much we project. Yeah. 
was there other people's projections on me in both the good and the bad way, right? Of like the courage and the strength and also, you know, all the really nasty comments. And what it really showed me was this collective pain body, which I know Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body a lot and we're connected collectively. And, and I, and I felt so much compassion for the pain that people have suffered in relationships and in, um, the expectations that we place on one another, because that's where the pain comes from. I, and this is why this inner authority and the self-sovereignty is so important to me, because if I don't expect you to make me happy and I focus on being whole and complete in myself, then when I do have a relationship with somebody, it's because I want to, not because I need you to do anything for me. And I'm, you know, I'm married to my soulmate Um, and I'm, I wouldn't have met him if I hadn't left, like all of these things go together where you can't in a way judging the past or judging what happened doesn't get you anywhere. Um, you have to be open. This has been my experience and so much learning from that. And with, with Andrew, with my husband today, like I'm with him because I want to be not because I expect him to make me whole. I make me whole. And when I'm with him, it's out of pure joy of, of, of being with him. And I, and I do my best, right. Cause obviously, uh, I'm not perfect, but I want him to be him and I don't want him to be somebody he's not so that in a way that's the permission I give him and the permission I give myself. And we've been able to grow through a lot of challenges as well to, to that level. It's hard. It's hard work, but it's also so very worth it. No, and I appreciate that. And I think much of your story led me to just this wonderful chapter of called wisdom of the body. And I, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I want to recite mm-hmm. a passage here that was powerful, vulnerable, but also spoke to the healing power of the chakras and the pranas, the, the, the body that you described. Mm-hmm. And I quote, I've learned this the hard way many times staying in the wrong relationship for too long, losing my life savings to investment fraud, letting others' expectations dictate my goals and squash my dreams, and pushing myself so hard to succeed that I burned out. But here was the best part, and here's where the learning comes to anyone who picks up this book. In each situation, my body was giving me clear signals that I consistently ignored. Yet, when I started listening to my body, bam, all of a sudden the book changed tones. It was awesome because you took it to, we're going to finish up with the, I love the ending. This is where the heart is, not the mind and the heart talking to you. How did that, was that an event or over time you began to realize the body and the alignment of mind, heart, gut? Mm Mm-hmm. It was over time and it was with the research. Honestly, when I saw the science about the the heart gut brain connection, I had so many aha moments that matched up with deep moments of meditation. Um, And what I learned about esoterically, I suppose you could say where, where the soul is for, um, for certain, um, I, I don't want to use the word religion, but where the heart lies um, in, in certain cultures, or I'm sorry, the soul is in the heart. 
And that's the, that's where it is. And so then when I started to meditate by placing my focus on my heart, I would receive very clear messages. And what you describe, I love the way you put it in the ancient cultures, call it the energetic body. Because yeah. now what, as I was feeling, as I'm reading the book, this is all coming together now. You have come to terms with the mind. Now the heart and the body is talking to you. And it very much led to how you finished the book. Can you explain this thing? Emotions have an electromagnetic frequency and how that ties into the wisdom of the body. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So, so if we start with the premise that is, you know, um, very much understood these days from the quantum physicists, um, everything is energetic. I mean, nothing is actually matter. Everything is energy and everything vibrates and energy is neither created nor destroyed. Well, emotions are energetic. Emotions have a certain energy and we can feel that like if we're angry, we feel a certain way. That's an energy. If we're sad, we feel a certain way. If we're joyful, we feel a certain way. And emotions tend to be magnetic. So they pull toward you their equivalent frequency. So that frequency is felt in the body. So my understanding is that the body is like this transponder. And so it is feeling things and we're just supposed to notice. And it's so intelligent. Our body is so intelligent. So again, my brain can do one thing, but my body can do another. And what I need to focus on focus the mind, focus my attention on where I'm getting information. It's not just in my brain. And so then there's, there's so much research around, you know, the emotions. And so they are, so thoughts are very electric, like they go out, but emotions are, are, are magnetic. And so if we, if we contemplate that and, and if I'm in a mood and I'm not careful about that mood, I'm going to get, I'm going to bring back that mood. <laughs> to myself. And so that's, and, and it's really important. Um, you know, when they say take 10 breaths, if you're in a bad mood or you're upset before saying something, there's a reason for that. And it's not magical. It's literally like, if you say something to somebody and you are just reactive and you come from a hurtful place, chances are, unless that person has a lot of equanimity, they will react in kind. And that's, that's, it's like, it's kind of common sense. There's also a lot of science around it, but the most important thing to your, to your point is it's in our body. And we're so again, conditioned culturally to ignore the body. The body's this thing that we're supposed to shape into a certain shape, right? It's, and it's not okay for it to be the way it is and all these things. So we just don't listen to the body, but really it is such a, such a powerful instrument. And then as, as the neurobiology, especially starts to get more and more detailed about what we are and how we're made up. I mean, I didn't even go into the gut micro gut microbiome. I mean, biologically, we're not really human. We're actually trillions and trillions of bacteria. So there's so many ways it blows your mind. And then your mind goes, wait a second. Well, I thought I was this. And, th and then, and then you, you can't on, I mean, you can block it, but if you're open to what the information says, and if you contemplate it within yourself, it starts to give you the permission 
to, to say, you know what, I have felt that way before, or, you know, I do have really strong intuition and, and I didn't, I didn't listen that time. And then, and then you start to open and then you start to feel so much more solid in yourself because you realize that it's not just what you think you, who you are is not what you think you are. And maybe that is like the most important message that I, that, that, that I learned for myself is really, I'm so much more. And now the rest of my life is about integrating that and being true to myself. And that's inner authority. Yeah. Well, you, you, as I was reading the book, you were building these wonderful blocks that to your point were about self-discovery and personal liberation. But if you don't mind that, if you work with me on this one, I would like to say a few things and I'd like to hear it back from you. So the first thing is, and this was chapter eight, meaning and alignment. And this is what I want to listeners to key on because now the call to actions are coming. So repeat after me, the world needs you ready to serve. Go you want ahead. me to say that? I do. Oh. I, I yeah. want them oh. to hear this. Oh man. The yeah. The world, world needs, needs you ready to serve. If you can't do that. If you can't do that. You are still engaged in self-sabotage and self-doubt. You are still engaged in self-sabotage and self-doubt. What Adapia was describing there, as I read it, and I read it over again, what she was describing was the ability to reboot your inner authority, that the only power struggle out there is the one you have with yourself. So I really loved how you did that and declare your intent to the world, and it can have miraculous consequences. Please expand on that, the, the making your goals public and the declaration of that intent. How important mm. has that become in your evolution? I mean, I used to not believe in any of this kind of stuff. This is this, like, I really had to uh, like really set the skeptic aside, like kind of undo <laughs> that, undo that in myself. Cause I was like, there's no way this kind of stuff can happen, but <laughs> too woo -woo, you, as you say, in the too book. woo. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's, and it's not, it's so it's not, we're so powerful. We've just been led to believe we're not. Um, and then it's not magical. It's, it's, call and response. I say, I'm going to, I say it. And the, the key to all of this is how I feel about what I say. Um, because if I just say, Oh, I want this. Well, great. That felt like nothing. So nothing's going to happen. Cause again, it's the emotion that powers this electromagnetic field. So if I state clearly from the inside, then I receive a response to that and I have to take action on that. So meeting my, well, the husband now, my, the love of my life that came from a very strong intention, very clear on the qualities I wanted in somebody. And I recognized him soon as I, soon as I knew, I knew it was like, I knew like six months before he knew I was like, you're it. <laughs> um, it's that good was, to declare that intent. <laughs> yeah. I was like that. You're it. Uh, I knew it. Uh, it took him a little while, but, but you know, he, he, you know, did different personalities. Um, even the business partners that I have today with alpha came from that shaking my fist at the universe at God moment. When I was in my darkest hour where I was broke, I had left the pinnacle position of my career. Everything was just, that's when I didn't know who I was anymore. Why can't I succeed? Nothing's working. Who am I? Nothing's working. And then I realized I had painted myself into a corner, somehow telling myself that I needed to not be in business anymore because I had made that wrong. So that I took that either or position. So I'm either either a business person or I'm not. And then in that fist shaking moment where I blurted out to the universe, all I want is business 
partners who will appreciate me for who I am because the previous position had not been that. I, I took that because my ego wanted the title and, and I needed to prove something to somebody. And then three days later, the business partners that are my business partners today called unexpected to me. I knew them, but I certainly wasn't expecting them to call and basically say, will you become a partner in our firm? And that was the thing where I thought, that did not just happen. How did that just, how did that just, hey, how did that working. just happen? <laughs> I um, <have> more books. <laughs> it, it just, it just happened. And then I realized that it's, it's the intention. It's the clarity of intention because at that point I had become just like with my husband, Andrew, so clear on my values, unshakable in my values. And in fact, we aligned on values and and it's just been the, the most aligned, wonderful partnership. We just had the, we just had the most monster year that we've ever had closing out 2021. It's almost unbelievable, but it's not because the intention is there and the clarity is there and the speaking of what is true for me or what is true for them and not pretending not pretending, not being something I'm not, not, not saying something just to say it, like it's integrity. And, and that, that has to start with yourself. Um, and that's the invitation. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. I appreciate that. As, as I was reading the book and I'm building the blocks here as to where you're leading us up this proverbial mountain, as it's, <laughs> I tend to speak <laughs> in those metaphors, it was beautiful that you finished the book with what you call full circle. Such an apt title to the last chapter before there was an epilogue. But you talk about the, the rhythms of life, the wheel of the year. Can you? I love this chapter because I thought it was such a fitting ending. And, and the counsel of the, 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 the way we sit in circles and how all life is a circle, sunrise, sundown. Did that, did you know the chapter was gonna take that form? No. Yeah, I when I got, no, when I got yeah. to the last chapter, I realized, oh my gosh, I've just come full circle. Right. And then everything that I had been learning uh, or relearning about natural cycles. And again, that whole linear mind versus nature, which is cyclical. And it was, again, it's like a big intuitive hit that gave me the information or the answer that that I needed. And then I, then I knew how to go back and reopen the beginning of the book as well. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I thought that I, as it, one author to another, you think you have, you think you know how it's all going to end, but you become a better writer as you write the book. And all mm. of a sudden you begin to see things that you hadn't seen. And I wondered, as I read that, I tried to put myself in your shoes. You just learned something about yourself when you wrote that full circles that you may not have expected. Is that a fair conclusion? The whole book was, I didn't realize how much, what a journey I had even been on until I started writing the book. It was such an, that book was such an exercise of, of consolidation. It was, it was everything that I've learned. Um, and that's also when I realized like, gosh, I actually just wrote this for the me that was in 2017, 2018, when this all, when the whole dissolution began and I came out of it. It was really the metaphor of, of the butterfly. And I was that caterpillar. I was mush for a few years. I was really that mushy liquid inside the cocoon. And, um, and you know, when it's time and we all go through it too. And that was, that's really th the thing too, is that we all go through versions, ego death and this metamorphosis. And, 
Um, and we resisted, gosh, did I resist it? My God, did I resist it? Um, and, and the trick if possible, and it's so much easier said than done. And I know is not to resist it is to surrender and to, and to know, and this is what I learned in such a deep, deep way is that I was never alone. I, and I ever, ever, never, never, never alone. I was always so supported. Um, and I don't have to do it alone. Uh, and then, and then I started to trust life and, and, and then again, it's, it's that process of that self-sovereignty and it has nothing to do with me self. It has everything to do with this greater sense of, of self and why now when I show up in anything that I do, I really just show up and I let what is meant to happen, happen. And I don't have an ego, an ego mind, um, goal. I have, I have goals, but I don't think I'm in control of how those goals are going to get achieved. And that's the living in magic. That's not magical. Um, it's really just the power that, that we have when we access everything that we are beyond the left linear mind. Well, as I was reading so much of this, there was a sentence that you wrote. I'm going to read it. It, it. I felt like it was the gigantic exhale that I like, I figured this out. I, at least I think I did. <laughs> and and, it, and it's, it's this simple and it's written in the rule of three. And, and I want our listeners just to grasp both the simplicity and the power of this phrase, trust, surrender, and alignment. That's how it all works. That was it. Just that simple, which led us to the epilogue. And what I loved about the epilogue, it was labeled at first to trust yourself, but it was the power of sharing your story. Here's the call to action. You, Adapia, had the power, the courage, the vulnerability to share your story, of which I am grateful. I learned a lot about the storytellers in us, but it was a call to action to other people. Was that your intent to have people share their stories? It's my hope that people will find what I found is that in the sharing of the story is where most of the healing happens. Mm -hmm. Um, because we're not on this earth alone. That's I thought, um, there's a different shift energetically when we share the story and it's the scary, the uncomfortable, the, what it, what will they think? What will they say? Um, but the trust that when you do that, you set something into motion, which is the permission for others to also share theirs. And then what you realize is that you're not alone. What you feel, your fears, your hopes, your wishes, your dreams, you've never been alone. And I feel like we all really need each other to know how connected and how similar we are because it's the separation and the, the, the emphasis on how different we are that's keeping us in pain and apart. And the only way to bridge that gap is to share yourself with someone else and, and trust that in that sharing, um, something, something happens that brings you together and that also brings you closer to yourself. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Well, what, what, what we're going to finish up, and you referenced Carl Jung, and I'm certainly a fan, but what Carl Jung had said, and I think this speaks to the, to the it underscores your story, I am not what happened to me. Carl Jung said, I am who I choose to become. And as I read this beautiful, wonderful book, thank you, Adapia, for writing it. Thank you for coming on to this 
episode of A Climb to the Top, it was a joy. The power and the vulnerability and the way that you structured so clever, such a beautiful way of building the blocks, getting right to the calls to action and giving the introspection in between. I encourage anyone, if you are looking for, in Adepio's point, self-discovery and even liberating, write your story, share your story, reach out to us. Adepio, where do people find you? Oh, thank you. Um, find me on LinkedIn. That's going to be the easiest. I have all kinds of you know, websites and things going on, but find me on LinkedIn um, and we'll connect there. Okay, fantastic. Um, any last parting words to our audience? This is a last chance to speak directly to them without me interjecting. Oh, no. Well, first of all, thank you, Chuck. This is so amazing. I'm so honored. Um, and I would say to, to the audience, um, you know, if this feels like a little scary or, or like a little bit of discomfort, um, there's something inside of you that wants to be seen and wants to be explored. There is wisdom in that discomfort as well, because we grow by facing it and freedom is on the other side of fear. And that's what I learned the most. And so I've really encouraged the outreach um, and the listening. If, if something stirs in you to listen to that, because it has something, it has something to say there's wisdom there that wants to be heard. And I appreciate that words of wisdom. So much of the book was wisdom and divided into many parts and well worth the read. To all of the listeners, if you are watching us on YouTube, thank you for the views. If you are listening to us on C-Suite Radio, on Apple, Spotify, or Amazon, we appreciate you tuning in. You can always find me on ChuckGarcia.com, also on LinkedIn. But you have listened to a wonderful story of transformation on a climb to the top. But this story of transformation is one for the ages. And thank you. I appreciate you tuning in. Adapio, good night. Hang on. I'm going to uh, stop the recording. But to our listening audience, thank you very much. This is our 99th episode. We are so grateful for all of the support. Please keep those uh, the feedback coming. We love hearing from you and wishing you a good night. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.